podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is the Love Rugby League podcast, bringing you the latest rugby league news, talking points and exclusive interviews. Listen as fellow fans and experts discuss the burning issues in the game and share their bold predictions. We're out every Wednesday to look ahead to your rugby league weekend. Hello, one and all. Welcome to the Love Rugby League podcast, a World Cup special uh, to take stock from the group stages and look ahead now to the real fun stuff, the knockout stages in the company of Love Rugby League's editor, James Gordon, uh, for the next half an hour or so. And so too, assistant editor Drew Derbyshire, uh, both with us. So, gentlemen, England through, uh, the other home nations, plus Ireland are out. Australia and New Zealand doing, I guess, what Australia and New Zealand do. Uh, England looking very good. Samoa, Tonga, Papua New Guinea all improving, uh, I would say, with every day of the tournament. And the women's in the wheelchair uh, event starting as well. The men's quarterfinal draw, let's summarise that before we get cracking. It looks like this. Australia, Lebanon in uh, Huddersfield on Friday. Then England against PNG on Saturday uh, New Zealand, Fiji, Saturday night in Hull, and then Tonga against Samoa, uh, which looks brilliant already on Sunday in Warrington. Uh, James, initial thoughts, initial assessment, really, and where we are, the group stage, and, and what you've seen so far from, from everything so far this tournament. I think we've probably ended up with what they expected to happen when the draw was made. Um, I think probably that quarter-final lineup was probably the anticipated one when when everything came out obviously there was a little bit of doubt wasn't there before the tournament about some you know would England beat Samoa which you know emphatically England uh, you know England proved that yes very much so that they can but I think you get to that quarterfinal you're not surprised at the makeup of any of these quarterfinals and and unfortunately really no team really threatened to to upset the apple cart I think the most disappointing I suppose the most disappointing games were probably the only two games that potentially could have decided it. I'm talking about Lebanon Ireland and also France versus Samoa. They were really the only two games you would maybe say that had a realistic, you know, sort of chance of of, of providing a different quarter finalist. Yeah, I I was very disappointed with uh, France on was it was it Sunday night uh, at Warrington against Samoa? Um, I, I thought I thought the game would have, was going to be a lot closer than it was. I, I expected Samoa to to beat France, but France just provided no competition whatsoever for them, uh, and it and it was almost as though Samoa scored in those opening stages, and France just kind of sat back really and and just let Samoa keep attacking it but but to obviously give praise to, uh, to Samoa they're definitely improving as each game goes on aren't they the the, the combinations between the spine players uh, look a lot more threatening now uh, going forward in that first game I think their attack was quite clunky wasn't it I, f- I feel like I feel like for France I feel like we always come out of World Cups disappointed with France and I think partly that comes down to the fact that maybe we we're almost desperate for France to do well because they're the most realistic competition to England in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, but I think one of the difficulties France has is that they've got that heightened expectation because of Catalan Dragons and, you know, to an extent to lose. But ultimately, the Catalan team, 
the French players in the Catalan team aren't necessarily in the key positions and aren't necessarily, you know, look at Artem Morg and Paul Seguer and players like that. They're not nailed on starters every week. So as much as, yeah, they've got this Super League, they've got this Super League team to to lean back on France, they're not necessarily the starting players in the Super League team. You know, obviously Ben Garcia, you know, is, is an exception, you know, Fouad Yaha maybe exception, but... And I think it means that you're expecting France maybe to be a bit better than than they actually are. Um, it's difficult for them as well to, you know, obviously Samoa and Tonga, blessed with the heritage players. It's difficult for France to get to get to that point. Um, you know, it's whether you know there are some French players playing at other Super League clubs, but you do feel like there's a lifestyle thing where there's not, you know, it, it's a lot easier for a New Zealander to go and move to Australia than it is for a French player to move to Northern England in terms of lifestyle and culture and opportunity and language, of course. No, no I, I, I completely agree with you. And, uh, and I think, as you mentioned before, James, the, the group's finished how, how we kind of predicted uh, as a, as a, as an Island supporter. I can't, I was, I don't know if, if I was voting with my head or my heart now is that I, I thought Ireland might have a good chance of making that second spot and beating Lebanon in Lee, but uh, Lebanon were, were very strong and, the team of Lebanon were a lot bigger than I was anticipating. Uh, the the forward pack is is up there with, as being one of the biggest in the competition, uh, along with the likes of New Zealand, Tonga, and, and Samoa. That they've got a, a very big pack. Uh, but what impressed me about Lebanon is, and I've not really seen it with too many of the the other uh, smaller nations, if you like, is that the their attacks really structured. Uh, so they've clearly been working on that, and they've got they've obviously got Robbie Farrer and uh, Matt King, ex Warrington on on the backroom staff, and they're attack up very fluent uh, when they've got the ball. Obviously, it helps when you've got a player like Mitch Moses, but even even out the back, and they've got uh, another halfback called Khalid Rajib, uh, who's yet to even play an NRL game, uh, and and you'd assume on the back of this World Cup that 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 NRL debut will be around the corner. I think he's in the the systems at Canterbury Bulldogs. Uh, but Lebanon are very impressive. Australia are always going to be the favourites heading into Friday's quarterfinal in Huddersfield, but uh, I don't think Lebanon will, will lie down for the Aussies. I, I think that game, the Lebanon game at, against New Zealand, which was their first game at Warrington, which New Zealand ended up winning 34-12. But in the second half, Lebanon got within, I think it was 18-12, approaching the hour mark. And, and New Zealand scored three try, three quick tries, I think they scored three tries in six minutes or something. And I remember being at that match, and at 18-12, you did feel like, I, I remember commenting and thinking, if there was a bigger crowd there, they'd have really got behind Lebanon as the underdogs in that match, and they might well have pushed the Kiwis a bit further. Obviously, Joey Manu with, a, with a, you know, a couple of individual plays got the Kiwis out there. So they have got something there, Lebanon. They had a man sent off in that match as well. Right, and, um, and it was a key player in Adam Dewey as well, yeah, who, yeah. who obviously a lot of the, their attacking players run through. Um, they took Mitch Moses off 20 minutes in against uh, Jamaica the other day, so he'll, he'll be fighting fresh uh, to, to play against the, the Kangaroos. I think Moses actually represented the uh, Australia at the World Cup Nines in Sydney in 2019. Uh, and, and and obviously, Michael Checker was speaking after the game that he wants these kind of players to actually play for Australia. He was like, we love them playing for Lebanon, but the pinnacle for them will be to, to play for Australia, the likes of Adam Dewey and Mitch Moses. 
Uh, and I thought I thought it was just in, interesting comments because you don't you don't normally hear a coach say those kind of words, and he was he was just being upfront and honest. But I think the Cedars can really upset the apple cart this week. It's difficult, isn't it? Because we all want a European team to be like Lebanon, don't we? We want a European team to do as well as Lebanon and Samoa and Tonga. The difficulty is, is that ultimately the Lebanon team is effectively. Australian based, isn't it? And I think that's one of the biggest obstacles that. Apart from Albert Smithy, come on. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I, that's one of the biggest obstacles that International Rugby League faces. Yeah, it's great that you've got Lebanon, Samoa, Tonga, and they're all, but they're all Australia centric. And it's like, just what can we possibly do in the Northern Hemisphere to even compete with those countries, let alone develop players? And that's why, going back to the France thing, that's why. I think we all put a lot of hope in France because we know there's a bit of a player pool there. But I think the results show that even though there's a player pool there, it's still the Northern Hemisphere is still miles off where where they are down under. I think in the uh, in the defence of, of France and, and we were there, Drew, and I, I pointed out at least five or six of them who they look like they just come out of a pharmacy and bought every single bandage in the shop. They were they were so battered after that England game. You know, there were a couple of players clearly who shouldn't have played. Uh, they they were. They were, they, were, they were the walking wounded. So I don't think we saw the best version of France. I mean, I, I take exactly what you're saying, but I think they were so battered from that England game that, that they, they big, were never going to offer much. It's a big shame, actually, and I thought this at the time, it's a shame that France Samoa wasn't the second game because yeah. off the back of that thrashing by England, if Samoa had gone into France and France had started the game well, you might have seen you know, Samoa be a bit worried. And I think, I think it just helped Samoa having that Greece game as a buffer in between the two, it, it helped them get back up to up to speed in, in some ways. And, and you could sort of flip that onto Tonga as well. The way Tonga's schedules worked out, it's like they're building, you know, they're building, you know, they they, they probably expected to beat Papua New Guinea a bit easier than they did, but then they, they, you know, they eased past Wales in the end. It was another tough game, but then they absolutely annihilated Cook Islands. And it's almost like they're almost now, if you count the pre-season, the, the pre-tournament game, they have had four games now to get up to, speed to absolutely nail what you know ultimately your tongue you've got to beat Samoa England Australia mm. probably in three consecutive weekends you you know they've got a peak at that time just on France though to, to plug a piece that I had on loverumbleague.com uh, a, a couple of weeks ago now that after after uh, England played France in Bolton as I spoke to George Williams England halfback who's who's had a terrific tournament so far by the way uh, and, it, and he was saying what, what what was the final score? Forty two eighteen or something like that. The the England France yeah. final yeah. score and, and George Williams was actually saying after the game that was the toughest French side he's ever played, and and I think he made his debut against uh, France quite quite some time ago. Now, and he obviously played against him in the twenty seventeen World Cup. Uh, and Lauren Fraser, who has been very complimentary to the to the work that Trent Robinson has uh, been doing. So hopefully over this next three years, heading into the French World Cup in 2025, they can kind of build on and off the field a little bit uh, and, and provide a, a strong French team for, for that World Cup. And hopefully uh, we'll have the likes of Theo Farge playing as well. Uh, let's talk a little bit about England. By, by the way, I can hear you both loud and clear, but I think, James, you're coming through on Drew's mic. I don't know, so you're a little bit off mic. Uh, Drew's coming through booming a little bit like like me, and you're a little bit off mic. So I don't know if you just want to share Drew's, but um, uh, it might just be quality control when you start speaking, James. It just it just you know puts off mic a little bit. I don't know, um, but I think can you hear me now? No, no. <laughs> it still it still sounds like you're coming through on on the edge of Drew's mic. So you might just want to share it, but it's all good. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about England. 
and where we are with England. Um, what I've loved about England is, uh, and Sean Wayne, every every week when he talks, he talks twice a week, midweek press conference and after the game. Uh, he loves his players. Uh, Sean Wayne comes across as a guy who's who just got away on this trip and he never wants to go home. You know, he's locked in camp with these guys, these players he loves, and he doesn't want to go back to real life. You know, he's been waiting for this so long. And he's created this bond, hasn't he, with these players. And I've noticed they've all, they've all been coming out with a few of the same watchwords, you know, like the big team, little me, you know, which he's clearly drilled into the guys he's leaving out. Andy Akers has said it a lot. Um, you know, these guys who are used to never being on the bench, regular starters, some, now they're going to be formed into this team. And there's real togetherness, there's real spirit there. And the performances have been great. You know, there have been spells where England have clocked off and for 10, 20 minutes against France. But I think, and you, you tell me if I'm wrong here, that England have, have probably outperformed what many people expected they would so far to this point. Yeah, well, they certainly started the, the tournament well and, and they were obviously very keen to, to lay down a marker uh, in, in that opening game against uh, Samoa. I think it helped with the team talk a little bit heading into that game because a lot of people were, were saying that Samoa were going to win and, and they were actually the book, uh, Samoa were the bookmakers' favourites to, to come out on top that day. So that, that team talk kind of fuels itself and, it, and it's a marker for the rest of the tournament, isn't it? Have they been as... Uh, better than what everyone else would have thought. I, I, I'm not. I'm not too sure. I think a lot of people would have expected them to to win all three games. It, it, the smaller games, obviously, the big one. They perform well against France and obviously blew Greece out of the water, and especially in the second half, they've been very strong. Uh, but I, I'm not sure many people have been un, underestimating England. I think when the initial 24 man squad was picked. Uh, I think a lot of people looked at it and thought mm, it's maybe not as strong on paper as the Pacific nations and the likes of Australia and New Zealand. But uh, I don't. But you've think... mentioned already, Drew. You've mentioned one name, George Williams. A lot of people were saying he shouldn't have been in the squad. What's he doing there? That's Sean Wayne picking his favourite, and he has been absolutely world class. Yeah, well, I have, I always had faith in in George Williams. Uh, a lot of people have have been giving him a, a bit of stick this year at Warrington, but let's. Let's make no bones about it. Halfback's job. If they play behind a good pack, they're going to they're going to play well. Uh, look at Josh Drinkwater and the way he's been playing for Catalan Dragons over the last couple of years. Because he's been playing behind a good pack, he's we're seeing the best out of Josh Drinkwater. Uh, when he was at the likes of London Broncos, where they had a, a weaker pack, he, he he wasn't hitting his straps like he is doing uh, recently. And, and it's just like George Williams is playing for England. He's he's playing behind uh, NRL and, and regular Super League forwards, uh, and it's proving fruitful for him. Uh, I think he's he's struck up a, a nice little partnership with Jack Wellsby, which I thought might have took a little bit longer to to create and kind of form, uh, but the. They're hitting the straps now. I think, I mean, clearly the Samoa result's a standout result and, you know, you shouldn't take anything away from England for that win. Yeah, I know people say Samoa were a bit undercooked and things like that. But ultimately, England should be comfortably beating Greece and should be comfortably beating France, which they have done. And, you know, they can't really do any more than that. I think maybe one slight concern, and this might be negated by other factors, but I, I, I worry if England got a settled enough team to get through the knockout stages. Now, you might disagree with me. You might think, well, actually, having that versatility that you can move players around, you know, I just, I just wonder, have they got, you know, do they know, have they played enough with the one six seven nine thirteen that they want together to to get through three three knockout games, as opposed to say Tonga 
for instance, they've been playing there. They've almost had quite a settled team that have played the three or four games built up. Now, obviously, England have got the results, but ha- have they got? Have they found those peak combinations yet? You know, maybe the Papua New Guinea. You know, would you expect Papua New Guinea? Expect England to beat them? Um, I suppose that's my only question mark. Is that? And you, you know, you could say the same about. You could sort of say the same about Australia to a degree. Um, have they? got the strongest team nailed down and have they played enough minutes together even in this tournament to set them up for basically winning three big games in three weeks? Well, I, I look at England's spine and I think it it pretty much forms itself in, in what Sean Wayne's thinking. Um, I've, I've not spoken to, to Sean myself, but uh, you'd pretty much assume that Tompkins will start every remaining game uh, at full-back for, for the rest of the tournament. Uh, depending on on obviously how far they go, depending on his knees, uh, <laughs> if his knees are all right, yeah, yeah, and he's he's a he's a very keen he's very keen admirer of George Williams, so you'd assume George is, is starting in the halves. I think I think he's been very impressed with Jack Wellsby as well, so I'd assume they're the two going to be the two starting halfbacks. But then again, if you play into the conditions, you want Marks need to be involved because of his kicking game, uh, because he, I don't think there's a more accurate kicker in this World Cup tournament than. The marks need. Uh, he's, he's a massive fan of Victor Radley, so we. I think he's nailed down that that starting thirteen shirt. Uh, and I and is we, we know that Wayne likes to to play Michael McAlorum, even though Andy Akers has yeah. impressed. I think it. I think it all just depends on that number fourteen role, the utility role on the off the bench, whether he'll he'll put uh, Mark Snead on there or whether he'll, he'll put Wellsby in the fourteen role and bring him on because you can you can literally. Stick Jack Wellsby anywhere and he'll, he'll do an eight, well, not, eight and nine out of ten job. He's not been picking his his two hookers, and you know I felt so much for Andy Ackers at the weekend because he he was told he told me during the week that Sean had asked him to play eighty minutes, and I thought he played eighty brilliant minute, minutes. His stats were I think leading on everyone, weren't they? But that probably means he's not playing this weekend because if you're playing eighty minutes, you're giving everyone else a rest. So he's he's almost I think played himself out ironically of 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 the next game. I, the Jack Wellsby, and I completely with you, Drew, on, on that. I, I don't like his versatility because I don't like seeing Jack Wellsby at centre because I just think he's an absolute waste. I just I, I want him right in the middle. OK, if he's not playing fullback because Sam's there, he, he just plays He just plays with George Williams because yes. he just offers so, so much. And then it's, yeah. And then Mark Sneed becomes, and he was playing with the match, wasn't he, at the weekend? And, you know, whatever record he broke, was it highest point scored in an England shirt in an international with his 30 or whatever it was? I think he just becomes the plan B. I think, like, horses for courses, do we pick Mark Steed for this game or not? I think in the first choice 17, I don't think Mark Steed is in it. Uh, I would agree with the rest of the spine. But then a lot is also depending on on who he's going to play at, at centres. Uh, Herbie Farnworth obviously was missing last week. I know through speaking to him, he's been a little disappointed with his own form. I think he's been all right. I think he feels he's underperformed. Callum Watkins will be back, um, or he will be allowed to play. But you know, he still might not be all right. He still might he still might not be all right. We don't know what his health check is. You know, by the letter of the law, black and white, he can play, but he will still be assessed. Mm. So he might be deemed. And then suddenly, right? Well, who are we, who are we picking at centre then? And then and you what, do have to you do have to juggle around. What has impressed me in all this tournament, and it's it's probably where England have been weakest in the past, is the outside backs. I mean, it's been the Dom Young show so far this World Cup, hasn't it? He's he's been electric to watch, and it, and Dom Young's the type of player that 
sells it, it should sell tickets alone, really. Uh, he's a box mm. office type player. People get off the seats when when he has the ball in his hands, and that's it. That's a genuine uh, statement as well. I know it's it's being said a lot where he always sells the ticket money alone and stuff, but Dom Young is genuine box office. Um, and I think he's he's quickly becoming everyone's favourite player. Herbie Farmworth as well. Uh, England have been crying out for a world uh, an out and out world class centre uh, for a couple of years now. Um, since obviously Callum Watkins were in his his Leeds days, uh, probably since the last World Cup in 2017. And Farmworth has is, is taken the World Cup by storm, hasn't he? He's impressed in in every single game he plays. Shawman's also got a, a wing dilemma, hasn't he? He's got. Tommy Makinson, Ryan Hall and Dom Young. So who, who do you leave out there? Well, he, he leaves out Ryan Hall. I mean, unfortunately, it, it is a dilemma because he's got three world-class wingers, but he's going to leave out the old boy, clearly, because, you know, Tommy Makinson is Tommy Makinson. He plays, unless he plays fullback. And Dom Young is, I think, still the leading scorer, is he, for the competition? So he, so he's in. So I think, I, think, I think that's just unlucky for Ryan Hall. You know, it's a, it's a nice dilemma, but I don't actually think it is much of a dilemma because if you're picking the two best, they they pick themselves. Unfortunately, I don't I don't think you leave out Makinson, do you? You're certainly not leaving out Dom Young. Yeah, no, I'd go with Makinson and Young, uh, but it's right having Ryan Hall as as an option to fill in. It's it's not a bad one, is it? Yeah, well, let's uh, and, it, and it's exciting for England ahead of a PNG, and then who knows? We don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Ahead of, and look at the semis before England have played a very, very difficult quarter-final. But, you know, going back to that thumping first win against Samoa, when we were there watching Samoa destroy France, it looked a completely different side. I think a lot of people just assumed after what England did at St James's Park, well, that would be, we've all uh, overhyped Samoa, they won't do anything in this tournament. That could come back to bite because they could play England again the way they are going. So that would be very interesting. But that's perhaps something to revisit next week. Um just to mention, we, we, we've mentioned in passing, you mentioned Ireland and your disappointment there, Drew. Uh, a word on, on Scotland and a word on Wales as well. I think Wales do emerge on a bit of credit. We spoke to John Keir on Love Rugby League on, on an earlier, a very interesting edition of the podcast um, before the World Cup. And he was on about, if we win one game, it's an improvement. Well, they didn't do that. But incrementally, I saw improvement there. A bit of the hunger. They're never going to get the glory days back because of the way the political landscape has moved with you know, the union players coming across to get money from Lee. Well, that, that doesn't happen anymore. So they won't get that 90s Jonathan Davis era again. But there were signs there, I thought, that, you know, Wales could actually start to do something again on the international stage. Uh, and Scotland, well, that was just very, very disappointing from, from where I was seeing. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the comparison between Wales and Scotland is actually quite a an important one to have in terms of the context of, of international rugby league. Because you look at the Wales team who've got... I think 12 out of the 24 players, Welsh-born and bred um, players. You know, Joe Burt, being playing for West Wales Raiders, getting absolutely tanked every week, has stood up and played against full-time forwards in all three matches. He's played long minutes and he's done very well. Um, you know, the likes of Kyle Evans have a bit, made a bit of a name for himself in the World Cup playing for Wales. He's really dug in. Um, and you compare... The Wales effort, and to be fair, Wales, out of all the minnows, Wales are the ones who've really dug in and done something. I think all the other teams have conceded between 140 and 200 points in the three games, whereas Wales had conceded, um, I think it was less than 100 in the end, um, or just shy, yeah, I think it was I think it was 80-odd or something like that. Um, but I think, for me, you compare that to Scotland and you think, well, 
Scotland had what one Scottish born player in there, and that was Matty Russell. Two. Sorry, two. Drew knows better than me, but they had two players. <laughs> there's not really there's not really that homegrown element to the Scottish team. The heritage players that they brought over from Australia were a bit were a bit disappointing. Um, you know, I, I thought I thought against Australia, I think that was probably one of the that was probably the most one-sided match thing I've ever seen in my life, that Australia Scotland yeah. game. Um you know, and I, I've seen a lot of one-sided games. Um, and I think that's what worries me about International Rugby League is that situation happening. Scotland are at their World Cup at the expense of, say, Serbia, who've got a, a player pool developing. Do Should Scotland be at this World Cup instead of Serbia just because they were able to attract enough Australian-based play, players to beat Serbia in the qualifiers? And I think that is a genuine conundrum now to have for... And I know they are bringing in this homegrown quota. Um, so I think John Carey even said, you know, Wales will never have to worry about that because they'll always have enough homegrown players to get in. But I think this is one of the key things for the National Rugby League. Wales and France shouldn't have to suffer because other teams can find better heritage players than them. Because I think at the moment, Wales and France are the only two European nations who are adding to the player pool. Obviously, like I say, I mentioned Serbia for a reason because Serbia are obviously developing players and playing a lot of international games. But I think we've just got to be careful that we don't, you know, Scotland did very well at the, at the last World Cup over here. They got to the quarterfinals and there was a big, you know, that was very much glamorised. But has it actually done a great deal for rugby league in Scotland? You know, people can correct me if I'm wrong, but I just don't see that it that it has. And I think we've got to get, we've got to try and be, you know, as much as everyone says, yeah, it's about the international game, but yeah, it's not just about put. It's not just about putting seventeen players on a field to represent Scotland and do well in a tournament. It's about building a, a pool of players because ultimately, the only way rugby league can grow is if there's more players and more fans. That's the bottom line. Um, and so, yeah, so I think the Wales Scotland thing is, you know, I think they're quite reflective of the debate and the the sort of struggle or the situation that international rugby league faces at the moment. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I would, I would say I thought Wales brought a lot to the competition and Scotland brought pretty much nothing. And that might sound harsh, but that's the way I saw it. And, um, you know, and you, and you think if you compare, you know, if you, and I know I'm using Serbia as, the, I think Serbia ranked eight from the world or something now, aren't they? If you'd have put Serbia into this tournament instead of Scotland, and I know you'll say, well, Scotland qualified and that's fine. I, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. Scotland qualified. Yeah, that's great. But I think you would have seen a much greater impact had Serbia been in this World Cup in on rugby league in Serbia than you would have by having Scotland in the World Cup. Now, of course, I, you know, and I'm a bigger advocate as anyone, as it's about what happens on the pitch in terms of qualifying for tournaments and, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, but I think that was the one thing that I took away from from that Scotland run is I was thinking, yeah. you know, they, these are able to put a team, these are able to pull a team together to beat a Serbia or whoever it takes to get there. But then they're not really doing much more. Mm. Um, yeah. uh, we just got a couple of minutes left. I'm conscious of the time, and uh, we're recording this just before the start of of the women's tournament. We've got the wheelchair as well, so we, I know we want to go and watch. Uh, England against Brazil in the women. So uh, just a couple of minutes on on any other business before we go off. I wanted to mention uh, the Greek story. Of course, they got thumped by England, but I love the press conference full of emotion uh, after that. And, uh, you know, the boss, George Arley, said this wasn't a four-week holiday. This was the start of rugby league in Greece. And I loved that. And I, I just loved the emotion that they, it's a long road, but it's great to see them on it. And I wanted to mention Jamaica as well, not least because I'm wearing a Jamaica top today that they gave to me on my visit to their training camp at the start of the tournament. 
one of old Dom Young, one of Dom Young's old ones that he was supposed to be wearing, but he wore wore England instead. Um, is, it, is it a bit big on you that then, George? <laughs> I actually, I actually gave Dom Young to someone else, and this is a this is a small size. <laughs> I don't know who, yeah, who is this. Is Drew got a lot of Ireland gear? You got Jamaica. I got nothing. <laughs> nothing. Um, um, Jamaica. No, no, just, just a word on on Greece and Jamaica. I think that yeah. the great storylines, aren't they? Um, and and they deserve to be shouted from the rooftops. Um, Steve George Alice, the the Greek coach, has been involved with that Greek setup for for so many years. I think it might be it might be something since like two thousand and three or something. Like that. He's been involved with the Greek Rubber League Association, and it was only until a couple of months ago it was he was actually banned to play in Greece. So hopefully, we're actually talking about this tournament and he- helping. Rubbly grow uh, on the the Greek island, and hopefully we can see more teams like Attica Rhinos, etc., uh, progress. And hopefully we can get more people participating in in rugby league. The good thing about Greece is they, I think, they selected eight domestic players in the squad, uh, and against England they had four domestic players on the pitch at the same time. And when you think of it, the, these boys are playing against the likes of Tom Burgess, who plays in the NRL every week. Uh, George believes one of the best halfbacks in the world, and it's great for these players to to have that experience. I think you talk about, you know, I always think about the 2013 World Cup and what things do I remember from from the 2013 World Cup. And I think when I when I finish this World Cup, I think I'll always remember that first Greece game. You know the the France Greece game at Doncaster. You know I thoroughly enjoyed that. You know I thoroughly enjoyed speaking to to the people afterwards. And I think you know the significance of that match. I think that'll be one of my lasting memories of this of this World Cup. Uh, my my one Jamaica memory wouldn't probably be one of their first tries or the or the historic Jones Bishop try. It would be that halftime interview that Ash Golding gave, full of raw emotion and passion, when they were getting trounced uh, in their final group game and. Uh, he, he had to field a very strange question about their brilliant first five minutes when they were what 42 nil down at the break, and he took it. I think it's quite a patronising question, and all this gush of raw emotion came out about how do we want to be remembered? We need to deliver now. It's not just good turning up and saying, "Isn't it great to see Jamaica?" How do we want to be remembered? And I loved that. That that's just, that that was the leg. That was the L word legacy, in a nutshell, in raw undiluted emotion from Ash Goulding at, at, at half-time and that, you know, that's that's what I will remember about their run. Yeah, I don't think I've ever spoken to, to Ash Goulding, but he, he seems like the, the nicest guy in rugby league, doesn't he? He's brilliant. Uh, he's, he's brilliant. He, he was great with, with, like, the kids and the, the fans in the stands after the game at the Lee Sportsville. He's like, they've just been battered by, by 70 points and I think he was the last player out of both teams on the field. Mm-hmm. He was still taking pictures and signing autographs with fans all the way around the ground and I just thought... That's brilliant. And, that, and that's what the World Cup's all about. It's about cultures coming together. It's about people coming together, no matter what you look like, no matter where you come from. Everyone's just coming together and, and enjoying it. And it's it was just a celebration of rugby league. And, and it was a really touching moment, to be fair, when, when we saw um, Ashton Golden with, with the fans at full time. They've even accepted Drew's mullet and Tash as well in this World Cup. So, uh, that's for sure yeah. that they're accepting everybody. Well, I'm not. Yeah. I'm never a Lebanon fan because the, there's quite a few Lebanese players with a, a mullet and Tash. So, um, yeah, I need to speak to some of those boys too. Proof, proof that it is indeed the most inclusive World Cup ever. <laughs> uh, we'll leave it there, uh, Drew Derbyshire, uh, James Gordon from Love Rugby League. Make sure you like, subscribe, comment and review. We will be back, of course, 
uh, very soon with the Love Rugby League podcast. But for now, enjoy the World Cup quarterfinals. Australia, Lebanon, England, Papua New Guinea, New Zealand against Fiji, Tonga, Samoa. Who knows who goes on from there? We've got the women's and the wheelchair as well. And we'll see you very soon on Love Rugby League. Thanks for listening to the Love Rugby League podcast. Know someone who shares our collective love for rugby league? Let them know about this podcast and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Eager for more rugby league news? Visit loverugbyleague.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.